Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, well, let's get into the Word. Y'all grab your Bibles. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Timothy 3. Two places to begin with, 1 Corinthians 10 and then 2 Timothy 3. First Corinthians 10 and verse 11 says this, these things happened. He's talking about the, um, the, the exodus and the, the works and the writings of Moses, the experiences of the children of Israel in the promised land. He said, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. The things that they went through happened as examples for us and they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I hope you've heard this. Uh, if not, this is a very, very important passage in the Word. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, All Scripture is inspired. That means God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. How many of you know the Bible is not here to make you feel better about living in sin? All right? It's to, it's to show us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. And then verse 17 says, God uses it, what? Scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing and your illumination and understanding to the reading and the hearing and the preaching and most importantly, the doing of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd change us today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm really excited to start a brand new series today. Um, I've never done one quite like this. Uh, there are th these two scriptures kind of give you the inspiration for it or kind of the big idea behind it. All scripture is inspired by God and it's given to us for a purpose. Not just the scriptures about Jesus, okay? Not just the red letters, but not just the New Testament, but all of it is given to us for a reason. All 66 books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I know when you read these things, sometimes it seems like stories. You're like, oh, that's a cool story. Let's read the story of this. They're not stories. They're accounts of actual people who, who, who these are their actual experiences and their interactions with God. So I want you to understand that. The Bible teaches us that those experiences have been, have, were experienced by them, and then they were recorded and preserved and transmitted to us to teach us what to do and what not to do, to teach us about the Lord and how He wants us to live. We ignore these passages, any of these passages, we ignore these to our peril. 
We need to hear about Abraham and about Samuel. We need to hear about Elijah and Eli. We need to know about the powerful women of God, Deborah and Jael and the others. We need to know about Moses and Jonah. So today we're going to start a series and I'm calling Patriarchs, Prophets, and Priests. Patriarchs, Prophets, and Priests. And we're going to sort of dive into these things. I have no idea how long this is going to take. I am not in a hurry. We're just going to dive in, take our time, and talk about the major players uh, of the Old Testament. The ones who gave us the foundation of our faith. And we're not only just going to find out the facts of their experiences, uh, but we're also going to talk about the lessons they can teach us. But, but also we're going to be on the lookout for the types and shadows of Jesus Christ. Because I do want you to understand this, this entire book is about Jesus. All right? It's about Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament, everything is about Jesus, either pointing to Jesus, talking about his life on this earth, or explaining his teachings and, and, and how to live those out. It's all about Jesus. Okay, so today we're going to start in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. If you want to open there, we're going to read several passages there. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to talk about Noah. So today's message title is very cleverly named <coughs> Noah. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 8. But Noah found favor, found grace with the Lord. This is the account of Noah. See, the, the account, not the story. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem Ham and Japheth. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to, to destroy all living creatures, for they've filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. So, here's the instructions build a large boat from cypress wood or gopher wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. And then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around, uh, all the, way around the boat. That's for ventilation, and he'll need it. You'll see why in a minute. Put the door on the side. Build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. <laughs> That's the fine print. All right, uh, Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground, you will, uh, will come to you to be kept alive and be sure to take on board enough food for you and your family and all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Now, God was ready to pour out his judgment and his wrath on this earth because of all the corruption and the violence. It was bad, uh, and the judgment was justified. But right in the middle of all of that, 
was Noah. A man who had found favor with God because he was righteous and blameless and walked in close fellowship with God. That is significant to me. And I want so that's the here's the first lesson from Noah. Righteousness is never wasted. Righteousness is never wasted. Sin and injustice is never ignored. Righteousness is never wasted. Sin and injustice is never ignored. It's significant to me that he was the only righteous man on the earth, but he got God's attention. In a world dark with sin, the righteousness shone like a beacon. Not just to the people around Noah, but straight up to the throne of God. When God looked down on this dark, sinful earth, he could not ignore righteous Noah. Listen, I know our world is crazy. And that's a good place to say amen, right? It is absolutely nuts. And sometimes it just seems like too much trouble to even try anymore. Right? You're just like, how in the world is anything I'm going to do going to make a difference with all of this craziness? Listen to me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Righteousness is never wasted. It's never wasted. God sees you. God sees you. I want to show you this. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. And he's quoting one of the Old Testament prophets. He says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He sees sees you. He sees your faith in Jesus. He sees you trying to do what's right. And how you're staying in close relationship with him like Noah did. He's right there beside you. There is no, no, no righteous act that will ever go unnoticed. Not one prayer will ever go unheard. Not one moment spent in worship has ever been ignored. Not one tear that you've ever shed has fallen in vain. There's not one verse of Scripture that you've read and meditated on that hasn't been planted deep into the soil of your heart by the Holy Spirit that He can use to encourage you in a time of need. Don't get weary in well-doing. Righteousness is never wasted. It's never wasted. But that verse in 1 Peter is also the perfect pivot to the last part of this point. Not only is righteousness never wasted, but sin and injustice is never ignored. It's never ignored. It's so hard sometimes not to question the character or or the resolve of God in a world that's as ridiculous as this one. Right? You see so many things that happen. This young lady, 18-year-old girl, gunned down in, the, in, in Carrollton this weekend. Uh, and, and as a parent, I want, because I've got a 17-year-old, and, and I want to have some teachable moment about, well, see, this is why you should do this, or this is why should that poor girl never, she didn't do a thing wrong. She did nothing wrong. It's a crazy crazy world that we live in and you and and it's so easy to wonder where is God in the midst of all this why does this kind of foolishness 
happen? Why does it seem like the bad guys win and the good guys lose every time? It's, it's hard not to question the character and the nature of God. It's hard not to question His resolve and whether or not He's still here, whether or not He's, he's allowing this, like what's going on? The deists will tell us that God created the world, He spun it into orbit, and then abandoned it to its own devices. He's, he's creator only, and the rest of it is up to us. The humanist will tell us that, that we're on our own to figure out what's right and wrong, that humankind is, is the highest judge of, of moral purity, and, and it's up to us to bring justice to this earth. Atheists will tell you that God never did exist, doesn't exist, never will exist, and, and, and so there's no reason to expect Him to intervene. But from Genesis to Revelation... Scripture reveals a God who is tuned in to what's going on in this world. Nothing gets past Him. He looked at His creation in Noah's day and He said, Y'all are a mess. That's ridiculous. Noah's the only one getting it right. And I'm starting over with just Him and His family. God just refused to look at it anymore. And, and, but don't think that once the flood was over, God was like, okay, there. I fixed it and just, and just moved on. He, 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 he didn't stop watching. He didn't stop searching. He, he looked at what's going on in this earth, and he watches constantly. The eyes of the Lord are roving the earth every day. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And history is full of times when God stepped into the muck and the mire of mortal men and brought justice to the innocent and salvation to those who are in trouble. And you can rest assured in those, in those moments when justice isn't found on this earth that there is, there is not one instance of injustice that will be ignored. Every instance of injustice will be made right. Not one sin debt that won't be paid in full. The blood of the innocent ones cry out to the throne of God and He will answer with a vengeance against which there is no defense. The guilty will pay. The violent will reap the whirlwind. They will find out that the widow has a bridegroom and the orphan has a father and He will defend them once and for all. The story of Noah teaches us righteousness is never ignored and sin and injustice is also never ignored. Righteousness is never wasted. Sin and injustice is never ignored. So, Noah got busy building this boat. Longer than a football field. It's a football field and a half. 450 feet. Taller than a four-story building. No power tools, mind you. No Home Depots. Right? No, no cranes. Nothing. But Noah did everything exactly as the Lord commanded. Now here's just a quick aside. We're going to chase a squirrel. Y'all want to chase a squirrel with me for a second? Any squirrel chasers here in the house? All right. And how long? I, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Do not answer this out loud because as up to, uh, up to this past week, I would have gotten it wrong and embarrassed myself in church. So don't say this out loud. All right. How long did it take Noah, not Moses, okay, Noah, to build the ark? How long did it take him? I've always heard 120 years. Um, did you know the Bible doesn't say that? I didn't know that till this week. 
120, 120 years. Nope, that's not what it says. Some say it was 100 years because when Noah's first introduced in chapter 5, it says he was 500 years old. And then when he went into the ark, it says he was 600. So they're saying, oh, well, he must have taken him 100 years. That's not what it says. It doesn't say how old he was when God called him to build the ark. So we don't know for sure. How about that? We might have been wrong our whole lives. <gasps> might, sometimes we just make stuff up. And blame it on the Lord, right? We, we don't know how long it took. We do know it took a long, stinking time. And, and it was not easy, right? But, God, but Noah was faithful to do it anyway. Now, part of the reason it wasn't easy is because Noah had nothing but his faith to go on. They, he had never, he's, he, it, it wasn't like God could say, hey, you remember like that boat that this other guy built? I want you to do, they had no, nothing to go on. It was just faith. Nothing like this had ever been done before. Because nothing like this had ever been needed. Noah was a pioneer. He was doing something nobody else had ever done. And that leads us to the next thing that I want us to learn from the account of Noah. Today's obedience prepares you for tomorrow's reality. Today's obedience prepares you for tomorrow's reality. There was no need for a boat when Noah started building it. But I promise you, he was glad he did it when it started to rain. Some of what God uh, tells you to do, leads you to do, will not have an immediate impact. And sometimes it won't even make sense right now. He may be training you for a ministry that doesn't even exist yet. A ministry that isn't even needed yet. Noah had to be obedient in the present in order to be prepared for the future. Now, listen, Noah got the download, right? God gave him the whole deal. He explained it to him. But even when God explains stuff to you, you still don't really get the full grasp of what God's talking about until it unfolds in front of you. Right? So most of the time, God don't even tell us because we won't understand it. So if you know what God said, if you know what the next step is, just go do that. Quit worrying about where it's going. Quit worrying about how it's all going to add up. You just don't know. Just take the next right step. If you know God's saying to do it, just go do it. Okay? I mean, but, but, but boy, we like us some logical progressions, though, don't we? Don't we, don't we like it when stuff makes sense? Don't we like straight lines? Am I the only one? Am I just the OCD, ADHD, MOUSE, all those things? I like straight lines, man. I like it when what I'm doing today trains me for tomorrow. That I want to know specifically that yesterday made today easier and tomorrow be easier because what I'm doing today. Guess what? Sometimes your obedience is not even training. It's just transportation. Now, y'all don't miss this one. It, it, it's, sometimes it's not training. It's just transportation. There is no evidence that Noah ever stepped foot on another boat or built another boat. As a matter of fact, Genesis 9 and 20 says that Moah, no, Moah, no, Moana, that's him, no. Noah was a man of the soil, not a man of the sea. Dude was a farmer. God called a farmer to build a boat. And when he was done with the boat, 
He never built another one. God wasn't training him to be a sailor. He wasn't trained because he didn't even sail it. He just got on it and rode the waves until it stopped with all the animals. So he, he wasn't training to be a sailor, wasn't training to be a shipbuilder. This was his first and only boat. God was just getting him from one side of the flood to the other. See, we're tempted to try to make everything make sense in our lives. We're tempted to look at some of the stages of our life and go, what was that about? Like we get all King James sometime and go, what meaneth this? Like, I don't understand. How did this help me? How am I ever going to use this? It's like algebra, right? How am I ever going to use this? And sometimes God's answer is, it got you to where I wanted you. That's what good it did. So, like, don't overthink everything. Sometimes a boat is just a boat. Sometimes it's just transportation from one point in your life to the other. It gets you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And that's the grace of God, right? That's the grace of God that He cares enough to get you there. He's not just going to call you there. He's going to get you there. Amen? Amen. So, Noah finishes the boat, opens it up, all the animals show up. Two of everyone that, that were ceremonially unclean, just like the regular old animals, like possums and stuff. And, uh, I still got to talk to Noah about why he let the possums on. But the, all those, and then seven of the clean animals that he could offer as sacrifice to the Lord. And after they got on the boat, Noah loaded his family uh, all the food and supplies that they were going to need, and God shut the door. A week later, it started to rain. And the flood came. So here's the next thing that we can learn from Noah. If you can't see past your present, you won't like your future. If you can't see past your present, you're not going to like your future. And I want to show you what Jesus said about it. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. All right, well, what was Noah's day like? Uh, verse 38 says, In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going on until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it'll be when the Son of Man comes. That's what Jesus said. These people around, uh, around Noah were just doing their thing. Man, they're just living their lives. Eating, drinking, focusing on their lives on earth. They gave no thought for tomorrow, no thought for eternity, no thought for the things of God. This, this world is not our home, y'all. Amen. This is not all there is. If we live our lives focused entirely on the here and the now, then we'll miss the opportunity to spend eternity there and then with Jesus. I want to show you 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul said uh, about our faith. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anybody in the world. If you bought into this, 
gospel that I referred to earlier, this, this uh, genie in a bottle Jesus, this tiger on a, on a, on a, on a leash Jesus, this, that, that, this Santa Claus Jesus, that, that everything's about the here and now and making everything great and you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it's not about saving your sorry soul from sin and putting you on a path to living in eternity with Him. If it's not about following Him every day, then, then we got it wrong. And Paul said, if that's all Christianity does for you, is make your today good, then I feel sorry for you, Paul said. I feel sorry for you. You're worse than the heathens because now you're deceived and you're using God's name in vain. Following Jesus is not about the here and the now. Is He present in your here and now? Of course He is. Are there blessings of God for following Him? Are there, is the Lord's favor for here and now? Certainly it is. But the way of Jesus is about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. If you can't see eternity, if you can't see the debt of sin that you owed in your life, if you don't recognize that there's a reckoning coming, then you'll never surrender your life to Jesus. Don't worry about storing up treasures on earth. Store up your treasures in heaven. Make your decisions with eternity in mind. You have to see past your present. In Jesus' parable of the rich fool, the man said, I got all all this stuff, man. I got all this stuff. More stuff than I can ever use. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down all my old barns and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can put all my old stuff and my new stuff in there. And the Lord said, God said to him in in this parable, he said, you fool. Listen, when God calls you a fool, you're just a fool. Right? He said, you fool. Tonight, I'm going to call your soul. Then who's going to get your stuff? You've been so focused on the here and the now that you haven't made preparations for the inevitability of tomorrow. And we got, we got people running around all over, the, all over the country now who are living the same way. You have to see past your present if you want to get to a future that you actually want to live in. The Apostle Paul, for example, he was, he was the man. He was at the top of the social and religious and political pyramid. He was educated. He was respected. He was powerful. He was feared. Most likely he was wealthy. And after choosing to follow Jesus, after Jesus called him on the road to Damascus, he was hated and maligned and beaten and broke and hungry and cold, arrested and executed for his faith. But Paul considered himself to be blessed and his suffering to be nothing. How in the world does that make sense? Because he wasn't stuck on today. He wasn't stuck in this world. He was looking at eternity. Listen, following Jesus is not a present-based thing. It's future. It's about the future. Noah had to endure the ridicule of an unbelieving generation and the hard physical labor of building a 450-foot-long boat in order to be obedient and ultimately rescued from the destruction that he knew by faith was coming because God said it. The people of Noah's day saw him building a boat. They were too busy with today to worry about tomorrow. 
Some of them didn't even ask. See, here's the problem, though, with living for today. Time is marching on. And eventually, tomorrow becomes today. When the rain started to fall, the tomorrow that they had ignored became a today that they didn't expect. But it was too late. It was too late. This is how the account of Noah is a type and shadow of Christ. Noah is not the shadow of Jesus. The ark is the shadow of Jesus. Jesus is our ark. He's the only way to be saved. He rescues us from certain destruction. But it's a limited time offer. right? Once God closed the door to the ark, Noah couldn't have opened it for people if they had changed their mind. He couldn't have opened it if he had wanted to. Once God closes the door, the door is closed. It, people try to negotiate with God like they're equals. Like we're, like, it's not open for discussion. God gets to tell us how this works, and we either do it His way or we don't. It's a limited time offer. His invitation requires a response. The prophet said, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow. Today. One of these days, it's going to be too late. That's the urgency of the gospel. That's, that's the urgency that Jesus told the, great, the, the, the disciples, the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world. Tell everybody. Go everywhere. Tell everybody about the gospel right now. We're on the clock. The world and every individual in it. We have to live in a future forward way that drives our obedience today. If you don't see past your present, you're not going to like your future. So the, the floods came. And everything and everybody was swept away from the face of the earth except for the people and the animals that were on the ark. You say, John, wow, like eight? Only eight were saved out of the whole population of the world at that time? Yeah, that's not good odds, is it? That's not, that's not a good percentage. But here's the truth. The lost always outnumber the saved. For the reasons that we've already stated. People are too hung up in today, in the here and now, in the what's going on in this world, to be thinking about eternity. They just don't see their need for a Savior. Or... Some people do. They're just too stubborn and too proud and too arrogant to submit to Him. There are some people that when you say this is the only way, they're going to say, I'm finding me another way. Do y'all know people like that? Are y'all people like that sometimes? Like, this is the, this is the best way to go. No, I'm going to go to GPS. I'm going to find me another way. Okay, drive around in circles. I'm just telling you. Right? Some people are just too stinking stubborn to, do, to, to listen to and follow the truth. Look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7. Jesus said this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. I promise Matthew 7, Jesus said something. Oh, there it is. Yay. I was going to have to chase my glasses. Um, it, you, can, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Did you hear Jesus say that? There's only one way to get there. 
The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. There's a bunch of people on that road. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult. And there's only a few that ever find it. You're like, what? That don't sound like the Santa Claus Jesus I signed up for. No, it doesn't, does it? This is real Jesus. This is Bible Jesus. And he said, yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of people lost and only a few saved. My question for you today is, are you going to go with the crowd? Or are you going to be bold enough to be one of the few who enter through the gate of Jesus and find life? Find life. I'm almost done, y'all. But Noah, I've got to get through the flood. We can't leave the man on the boat with all those animals, bless him. So Noah and his seven family members were saved. And after a year on the boat, they were able to come out of the ark onto dry land. And they made a sacrifice of worship, mostly because he just needed to kill one of them animals, right? So, okay, did a, I'm just kidding, y'all, I'm sorry. He, he made a sacrifice of worship and gratitude to the Lord. Listen, I think it really hits a person when you walk off the, you walk off the boat and there is nobody left on earth. I think it kind of hits you how great a salvation you've been offered, Right? So he came off and he made this sacrifice of gratitude to the Lord. And, and, and God was well pleased with his faithfulness and with his courage to endure the hardship. And he told Noah he's going to place a rainbow in the sky as a reminder that he committed to never destroying the earth with floodwaters again. I want to show it to you in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 17. God said to Noah, yes, the ra- this rainbow is the sign of the covenant that I'm confirming with all the creatures on the earth. So that's what the, that's what the rainbow is for. It's a reminder of the covenant of God. So Noah and his family started over again with God at the center of everything. And, and they were enjoying his blessings and they were being fruitful and multiplying and they were doing all the things. But, but I, I reminded you of this scripture last week if you, were, if you were there, but it applies here as well. Be careful when you think you stand because you're in the prime position to fall. Why is that? Pride. Pride is always knocking at the door, and that's what got Noah into trouble. So I want to read you one more passage from Genesis 9, 20 and 21. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. Why? Because he's a farmer. It's what he does. And he planted a vineyard. And one day, he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked in his tent. Now, there, there's more to the, you can read the rest of the story if you want to, and there's a whole lot of speculation about what actually happened to Noah that night. Um, but but this, this is enough for our, for our last point. Um, don't get intoxicated with the taste of your own accomplishments. Don't get intoxicated with the taste of your own accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of your labor. You work hard. It's okay to enjoy the the fruits of that. It's healthy even. It sustains you. It motivates you to go back and keep working. The problem with the sweet taste of the wine for Noah that Noah had made, he had planted this vineyard, now he's enjoying the fruits of it. The problem is that he lingered too long with it. He enjoyed it too much. 
The glass was good, but he wanted the whole flask. The fruit of success should be a pivot point. It, you should enjoy it as you look back with gratitude and satisfaction at a job well done. It, do y'all ever do this when you cut the grass? I go look at my, I go sit on my porch and look at my grass. I eyeball all of it. That's right, I cut you down. Next week I'm going to cut you again. Right? It, it's motivating for me to smell it and know I conquered it. It's good. Now, if I went and rolled around in it, that's weird. That's too much. Now, John, that was too much. Right? That's what Noah, Noah looks at. He enjoys the fruit of the vine. He's like, yep, this was good. The problem was he wouldn't let it go. He kept on convincing himself at how good he was at his job. It's good to look back, but it has to be with gratitude and satisfaction at the job well done. Gratitude for the grace of God to allow you to do it. Then, then you turn around and you look with anticipation and obedience at what God's still got in front of you. The success should motivate you to turn around and get back to work. You get stuck too long in the accomplishment and you start to believe more in your own greatness than in God's greatness. And that's a dangerous place to be. Pride will lead you down a road uh, that you don't want to go down. Because every road leads to a destination. The book of James says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The, the humility that got you to where you are can very quickly get replaced by pride and the opposition of God against any future progress. So we have to, we have to be careful in how we respond even to our own success. Now, fortunately, Noah's self-centeredness, his pride seems to have only lasted for the evening, though that was enough trouble that it caused in his life. It, but if you get stuck admiring your own greatness for too long, not only do you delay your future obedience, you might even, depending on how you handle it and how long you stay, you might even disqualify yourself from what God had for you in the future. So don't fall into the trap. Take a sip of satisfaction, then get back to work with what the Lord's called you to do. Because ultimately, all the glory belongs to Him. And you don't ever want to try to get in the way of God and His glory. And listen, there are a lot of things to learn from these three chapters in Genesis about Noah. A lot more than we had time to go into. Here's the most important one, and I want to make sure I point it out. Jesus is the ark that rescues you from the wrath of God. Because here's what the Bible says, none of us is righteous, not even one. Each one of us owes a debt for sin that we can't pay on our own. But God sent Jesus, His only Son, to make a way for us, to die on the cross, to take the penalty for our sins so that we could go free, so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. And not only that, He brings us into the family with Him so that we can enjoy the love and the fellowship with God um, that our soul craves. More than anything else today, if you don't remember anything else, make sure that you hear that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Make sure that before you walk out of this place today that you have repented of your sin that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. 
that you are committed. We've said this is the fourth time we've said it, me and Robin both, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Y'all stand with me, please. So they're going to they're gonna sing a song. We're going to pray, and, and, and then we'll be dismissed in just a minute. But it's important not just to hear the Word. The way that you become a doer of the Word is by understanding it and putting it into practice. So I want you today, I want, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit, and I'm inviting Him now in, into this service to search your heart, to see if you've actually repented of your sin. So many times we have, we have shamed and guilted and manipulated crowds of people into praying a prayer they didn't understand and didn't mean and didn't know anything about. And so we, people, too many people think they're saved when they never actually repented of their sin. They never actually surrendered themselves to Jesus. And I just, I want you before you leave today to search your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin. If you've never repented, today is the day that you can come to Him humbly and ask for His forgiveness. Repent of your sin and commit to living for Him. If you've done that and you've truly repented, but you you find yourself wandering back in sin too much, then repent of that sin. He is still faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will be with you and help you to live a life that pleases Him and that becomes more and more like Him as the days and the years go on. And once you get those important things handled, if there's any situation you've got going on in your life, life is hard and life is complicated sometimes. If there's anything else you need prayer for, whether it's a need in your body, whether it's a financial need, a relationship thing, a family thing that's going on, big decision you got going on, whatever it is, you feel free to come and pray. We're going to sing and be dismissed together in just a minute. But let's spend some time responding to the Word of God today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would draw people to this altar today. Draw people into repentance. We we know that your Word says in Romans that it's your love that draws us to repentance. You're not mad at us. You love us. And I pray, God, that we take it as such and we come and we come humbly before you and we repent of our sin. Lord, I pray that every person in this place today would be saved before they leave. I pray, Lord, that every prodigal, every wandering soul, Lord, would come and and would recommit themselves to you today. And Lord, whatever other need may be in our family, in, in our congregation today, I pray that you draw people to this altar, Lord, and meet them here. And we know that you are faithful to do that, to meet every need and to hear every prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.